Well, if you're visiting with us today, welcome. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Uh, we've been in a series called Heaven and Hell and talking about end time events, different things like that. And um, we, don't, we don't dance around things here. We sort of like do what we're supposed to do and tell it like it is. And um, so just, you know, when you pray throughout the week, pray that we never lose sight of what God's asked us to do. To speak the truth, to love God, to love others, to be the church that he's called us to be. Uh, pray for one another. Pray for this church. Um, we're excited. We, we, last service was so good. I didn't even forgot. I forgot to announce that we hired a, a youth pastor. Um, hey, we hired a youth pastor, so... Um, yeah, we're excited. Paul Porter will be here in a little over a week. And um, so there was an email that went out about all that and how it all went down and a little bit about Paul. Check it out. If you didn't get the email, fill out that little slip that Mike talked about. Put your information on there. Put it in the blessings box. And uh, we'll get you back on the, the email uh, list. So, hey, this this morning we're looking, um, you know, how do I say this? We're looking forward. We're looking Back to the Future. Remember that? Remember that movie, Back to the Future? You guys remember that movie? That was a good flick, right? One of those movies that calls you to think you can travel in time, right? And then there's other movies, that uh, science fiction movies, that give you a little bit more to think about futuristic um, spaceships, you know, Beam Me Up, Scotty, Star Trek, all that kind of stuff. Um, good, fun movies, right? Well, today's futuristic movies, if you've sort of paid attention, they're a little bit more of a bleak uh, outlook on life, uh, a little bit more zombie, disease, rampant type movies this is the futuristic movies. Um, and, you know, but here's, here's what it all boils down to and what I believe. I believe we're all curious uh, about what the future is going to be like. We, we, we're, we're just like, what's it going to be? We know what the past is like. I love studying history, right? But the future, we're just like, what's the future going to be like? And we start guessing and wondering and, and then we're like, well, does the Bible have to say anything about the future? Oh, absolutely. It absolutely does. Uh, the Bible contains, actually contains hundreds of prophecies. Prophecies were, were messages that foretold the future. And you go back and read in the Old Testament, but all these prophecies in there that came true, and let's just pick on like one subject, Jesus Christ, okay? You go back in the Old Testament, and there's like over 300 prophecies that talk about Jesus Christ, where he would come from, where he would born, be born, his lineage, how he would live, and how he would die. Over 300, and they all came true. That's amazing. It's, it's incredible. It's unbelievable, right? Well, there's also detail given as to what's going to happen when Jesus comes back again. It talks about a second coming and future events surrounding his return. So, terms such as, you've maybe heard rapture, the millennium. Maybe you've heard of uh, different things like uh, the judgment, new heaven, new earth, and you're like, oh, I've heard all these things in the book of Revelation and so forth, and you're like, what's, what's all that about? And you, so your interest gets perked up, right? So let me just, up on the screen, i just help you out here with something. Six different lines there, and I'm just going to sort of go across the top. If you were to break history down like this, there's the Garden of Eden, which we read about in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and that's God with man in a perfect earth. Then you go to the next thing, and that's basically the fallen world, which is Genesis chapter 3 through Revelation 20. That is God separated from man in a very cursed earth. That's where we're at right now. Next thing on there is the rapture of the church. And then the millennium, which is a thousand-year reign of Christ. And that's in Revelation 20. You can read about that. And that's God with man in a temporary earth. And then there's Christ's return and judgment. And then finally, new heaven and new earth, which is in Revelations chapter 21, 22. That's God with man in a new heaven and a new earth. 
So I, I got this from Chip Ingram's book, and uh, Chip Ingram is a very trusted uh, pastor and um, um, teacher of God's Word. And, and again, where he picks this up from is from other theologians as well, and sharing similar beliefs, and this is what it looks like, a good outline here. But if you look closely at this, it appears that the next thing to happen is, is what? It's the rapture, right? And everybody's like, the rapture, I've heard that before. And it's, no, not the raptor. Some of you are thinking Cedar Point, it's the rapture, okay? Now, some of you have been in the Bible, you're like, I've, I, I, I know I've heard it somewhere. Just let me help you out with this, though. You won't find that word in the Bible anywhere, okay? It talks about it, but that actual word is not in the Bible. Just like the word Trinity that we use a lot, right? That word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it is taught in the Bible about a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You can find these, this truth in his word, and the same with rapture. And the word rapture basically means this. It means to, to snatch up. The idea is that simply that someday Jesus is going to come back, He's going to snatch away all of his believers, those who are living on earth, and take them to heaven. It could happen at any time. We, we don't know when. It could happen in the next five minutes. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen years from now. We don't know. And maybe now you're starting to think, oh, I remember those Left Behind books. You remember those books? And I don't remember the name of the movie, but I remember being in high school, and our youth pastor and pastor showed this movie about all the, about, it contained about the rapture and end times, and it was scary. I mean, I think it was all meant basically to make me want to be a Christian. Um, it did its job. It was, it was definitely, you know, thought-provoking, right? But let's go to God's Word. What, is, what does God's Word have to say about the rapture and these events? So in your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. 1 Thessalonians is, is in the New Testament. It's towards the back. We're going to go to chapter 4. And I'm going to read from there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And we often put the page numbers up there. I appreciate the guys in the sound booth, the tech that do it. Dan often does this. He puts the page number. So if you grab the Bibles from the back when you come in, that's the page number to help you out. Let me start in verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, so again, let's pause. Paul's writing this to the Christians. Okay, He says, we want you to know what's going to happen to the believers who have died so you won't grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. I want to stop here for a second. Paul had spent time with the people, with these Thessalonians, and he'd been teaching them these truths, and he emphasized that Jesus would return sometime soon, and the believers, uh, they sincerely believed it. They agreed with Paul. Yet Paul left, and then they started to think about, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about the Christians who have died? What about those who believe? What's going to happen to them? So Paul had to write back to them and include this in his letter to them and help them by this, these troubling thoughts, like these people are going to miss out on these future events because they're dead and buried, Right? He wants the church to know the truth, so he writes this letter. And for us as Christians, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you're here and you are a follower of Christ, you're a believer, you're a Christian, we understand this. Death is dead, right? Leaving the body for a Christian is like laying down, taking a nap, and waking up in glory. This is the way we see it. It's like moving. You're not dying. You've just moved on to a better place. That's how Christians can see it. For these reasons, 
as Christians, we don't grieve as others grieve who have no hope. We have a hope in God. We have a hope through Jesus Christ that when we die, there's life afterwards and it's in the presence of God. But for others who don't have that hope, their sorrow is different. Their sadness is real. For us, it's like, goodbye, I'll see you soon. It's like you're going on a long trip and I'll catch you soon. We have a hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the resurrection of Christ, we have an amazing example of life after death. Because Jesus is alive, we too one day will be alive after death. But not everybody shares that thought. In ancient Rome, you can see in the magnificent tombs and and the catacombs, some of the pagans, those who did not believe in God, their gloomy inscriptions on their tombs. There's two inscriptions you'll find, and I'll put them up on the screen. One was, and this was the person who did not believe in God, who did not place their faith in Jesus Christ. This was the inscription on their tomb. I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. It's pretty sad, isn't it? But for the Christian, if you go back and look at these catacombs and you read the inscriptions on those back in ancient writings, they borrowed from Psalm 4.8. It says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And then in big, bold letters it said, in peace. You see the difference between what a believer in Jesus Christ believes and what someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ believes when they die? A big difference there, isn't there? Sadly, not all Christians are at this place of confidence and peace, and that's what's happening here. These people were Christians, but yet they were not all that confident in what happens after death. They had some fear. They had some hopelessness, and that's why Paul writes to the church and says, okay, Christians, listen, some of you might be a little uneasy about this, so let me reaffirm your hope. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. There's like three sounds that hit there. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Now, now Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that the, the Christians who have died before Jesus returns will by no means be at a disadvantage. Those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede them. God's going to allow those who are dead to share in the coming of the Lord as well. And so he writes this. When Jesus comes, he's going to personally come. He's not sending somebody else. He'll send, descend with a shout. And the ancient Greek word here for shout is, is an interesting word. It's the same word that if you were a commander of a ship and you had people rowing for you, it's a very, it's a very authoritative and urgent shout. That's the kind of shout that describes what Jesus will make, the Lord will make when he returns. And this is where we find what we believe to be the raptures taught about in Scripture. Look at verse 17. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Paul's like, this is exciting. Encourage each other with these words. There's going to be a day. Christ is going to come. He's going to be a shout. And boom, all of us who are alive will be caught up with those who are dead in a pannier. And it's going to be pretty amazing. And the verb translated here for caught up means to seize or to carry off by force. There's a theologian by the name of Morris that said this. 
there is often the notion of a sudden swoop, and usually that of force, which cannot be resisted, as he describes it. And in ancient Greek, the phrase meant to meet, he says to meet the Lord in the air, means to describe like an official welcoming of an honored guest. It's like we're going to erupt, and we're going to meet the Lord like it's an honored guest to meet the Savior. This passage is the basis for New Testament doctrine on the rapture. When you hear the word rapture talked about, this is where we get this. And Paul's statement under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is pretty dramatic and fantastic, isn't it? I mean, he speaks of Christians flying upward, getting caught up, and you're like, oh, that seems a little unbelievable, right? Let's remember this. Does this sound unbelievable? God came in the flesh and became man, was born in a manger. Does that, does that sound unbelievable? Or, or that Jesus can walk on water or take a handful of food and feed over 5,000? Or die and be buried and raised from the dead? Does that sound unbelievable? So why is it so unbelievable to think that we as Christians will someday be caught up with our Lord? Not unbelievable at all. It's very believable as we see in God's word. Because God can do anything. And Paul used no figurative language at all. He uses plain language here regarding the certainty of this event. The thing we do not fully understand is maybe the timing of the event. That is a debate among some Christians. But the manner in which Jesus gathers us to him is impressive. But the main point is that whatever the state of the Christian is, dead or alive... When the Lord's coming is, we'll be with the Lord. That is the great reward of heaven. Not streets of gold, not no more crying, not no more pain. The great reward of heaven is what? Being in the presence of God. That's the great reward of heaven. That's the rapture that takes us into that point. Death can't break our unity with Jesus or other Christians. That's good news. And at the rapture, every Christian is taken off the earth. We're transported to heaven. And Paul says, just prior to the rapture's belief, or the the believer's rapture, the dead in Christ will rise first. We're thinking, that's sort of weird, isn't it? Their spirits have already, as we've talked about, have already gone to be with the Lord in heaven. We've already talked about that, right? But their bodies are still here, right? Now the rapture, the bodies will now be resurrected. And they'll be given a glorified body. And the implication is that the believers who are alive and get raptured, we will too will be given a glorified body if we're here and alive. 1 Corinthians 15, you're in 1 Thessalonians. Turn back towards the beginning of the New Testament, not quite. Just go back a couple books to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 51 to 53. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 51, and then we're going to hop around to some other verses there in 1 Corinthians 15 for the next few minutes. But it says this, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret, a mystery. It's no longer a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Did you hear that? See, when the Lord returns, there will be some who are living and some who are dead. All of us. Let me hear you say all. All of us will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. We as Christians who have not died, we're going to receive a glorified body in the rapture. And the Christian's 
who are dead, Christians who are alive, we all get these transformed bodies, glorified bodies. Church, listen, our sinful, messed up bodies are broken, aren't they? Diseased, depleted, these bodies are not fit for heaven. We get to trade in these temporary, achy bodies for an eternal body. Amen? I was hoping somebody out there with a little arthritis would, would shout out something. And then, there we go. We get an imperfect body exchange for a perfect body. Where do we get this? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go back a few verses to verse 37 and 38. Paul says this, And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a, a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it a new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Paul's saying our bodies are like seeds which grow into resurrection bodies. When you bury the body of a believer, you are sowing a seed, so to say, that's going to come out a resurrection body. Now, Charles Spurgeon said something very unique, very different. And listen carefully. I want you to think about this because today we can't even imagine it. I've been to a lot of uh, a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of officiating at funerals. And I've been out there at the, at the uh, um, cemetery. And when we, we've closed the ceremony, we're done. We get in our vehicles and we drive off. We usually don't stick around to when they lower the casket. And then the guys start putting the dirt back on. We, we, none of us don't stick around for that. But back in the day, they did. And you would hear the shovels hitting the loose dirt. And you would hear the dirt hitting the coffin. Listen carefully what Charles Spurgeon says. Truly is it never a pleasant sound, that rattle of the clay upon the coffin lid, earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Nor to the farmer for its own sake would it be a very pleasant thing to put his grain into the dull, cold earth. Yet I trow no farmer ever weeps when he sows his seed. What Charles Spurgeon is saying, you know what? I know we are saddened. I know we weep when that dirt hits the coffin. But the farmer, he plants the seed and he covers that seed with dirt just like we would a coffin. But the farmer doesn't walk away sad. The farmer walks away saying, something's going to happen to that seed. It's going to grow and there will be a harvest. For the Christian, we can do the same thing. We can look at the grave and say, it's being covered now and I'm so sorrowful that I'm losing this person. But that's going to be a resurrected body someday. And I'm going to meet him or her. And it's going to be incredible. We are so close to the season of harvest for the farmers right now. And you and some of there are some farmers that are in here right now, and they've planted seeds in the spring. And through a period of time, those seeds have busted through the ground and they've started to grow. Things look so much different than the original seed, don't they? There's continuity in the growth. But it's a noticeable difference between a seed and the end product. But there's still continuity. And when you plant a seed, like a wheat seed, you don't grow a wheat seed, a bigger one. There's a stalk that comes out with wheat on it. And then even though our resurrection bodies, they will come out different than our present bodies, but there'll be continuity that we will recognize one another. We will have improved bodies. First Corinthians 15:42 says this, it is the same way at the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but then they will be raised to live forever. Isn't that good news? Church, our bodies that we have are perishable. I was in the food pantry Thursday 
And as people come in, we, you know, one by one, we check them in and I give them, you know, a couple bags of food. For the first time, we actually had bread in there. Bread is perishable. We usually don't have perishable items like that in, in the food pantry. And I was handing a loaf of bread or two. I would, I would explain to each person that came in. And I said, hey, today is September 20th. As you can see, the expiration date on the bread is September 24th. This bread will be, will be done and it will expire in four days. But I just want to let you know we're, we're good right now. Would you like a loaf? Oh, yeah, take one or two. Awesome. I could give that to them, but what I want them to know is it's going to expire soon. There's an expiration date on it. Church, you need to understand, our bodies are the same way. We all have expiration dates. You just can't read them right now. We've had doctors before, right? Some of you have known doctors. They gave you an expiration date, and you outlasted those expiration dates. We don't know when we will expire. But we do know this. We won't last forever. We have a shelf life, too. And some of us recognize this more than others, don't we? My, I tell you, my knees ache, my elbow aches, my eyes, my, my eyesight is fading, my hearing. I'm Just ask around my house. I'm like, what? What did you say? I always have to ask the second time, you know? And there's sometimes I'm in a conversation like, I have no clue what they just said. I can't hear. Okay? So if you ever see me smile, you, you are feel free to say, Rex, did you hear what I just said? No, I didn't. I failed my uh, eye exam at the BMV, taking my eye exam for, uh, to renew my license a couple years ago because I, instead of getting bifocals, I wear one contact instead of two. I wear it in this eye. It's my stronger eye. It's my dominant eye. So this eye, I can see far distance because that's my dominant eye, right? But when I look down at my nose like this, my other eye kicks in and I can read up close. It's like that's how my bifocals with contacts work. So I went to go take my eye exam. I'm like, I, I could read the one side. I couldn't read the other. And I backed up and I, and I said, I can't read the other side. And they said, try it again. Nope, still can't. Well, why don't you try it again? Unless you're Jesus, this ain't happening, okay? I'm not going to get healed here, okay? And so I, I failed. So my CDL, I have a CDL. Uh, they just they, they put restrictions on my CDL because I failed my eye exam. So if you see me driving a semi-truck with nitroglycerin around Ohio, I'm good. I just can't take it to Indiana or Michigan. So doesn't make sense, I know. But here's the thing. We, as we get older, we slow down, right? And we wear down. That's just the way it is. But praise God, church, praise God that our glorified body will be imperishable. <clears throat> My, uh, there's no expiration date for the body that God's going to give us. It's the ultimate upgrade, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever traded in your old vehicle for a new vehicle. Did you ever get in a new vehicle and you're like, ah, new vehicle smell? I don't smell them very often, but for those of you that have that, enjoy it, okay, right? Because it's, it's very enjoyable. Here's the deal. Someday, you're going to trade this perishable body in for an imperishable body. And it's going to be getting like that new car, and it's going to be pretty awesome. I often tell students this, you know, um, it's sort of looking like this. Um, I tell kids, imagine your parents give you keys to a brand new vehicle. You just got your license. You can pick any vehicle you want. Truck, car, I don't care. 2018, 2020, even if it hasn't been built yet, pick it. They pick it. Okay, now that's your vehicle. Like, yeah, and they're all pumped up. Right, right now, here's the deal. That's the only car you're going to be able to drive the rest of your life. You can't trade it in. You can't sell it and get a new one. This is your vehicle. Oh, how are you going to treat your car now? You going to check the tires? I'm going to check the tires. I'm going to check the oil. I'm going to check all the fluids. I'll, matter of fact, the Taco Bell wrappers in the back, I'll pick those up and clean it up because I'm going to keep my, my car looking nice, right? Absolutely, because you only get one car for the rest of your life. And I said, that's the same way with your body. You get one vehicle for life. You can't trade this in. You can't get a new one. 
So take care of it. Be careful what you put in it because it will destroy your body if you put the wrong things in it. Take care of your body. Like, oh, that's what I'm trying to say. Well, as we read about this, we learn then after the rapture, there is a seven-year, it was called a, a, a terrible period. It's called the tribulation. You read about it in Revelation chapter 6 to 20. First three and a half years, pretty peaceful. But then during the time the, the Antichrist enters the scene, deludes everybody with this, 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 these lies, people start to follow him. Then in the last three and a half years, he unleashes his fury upon the earth and devastation like we've never seen before. Meanwhile, in heaven, there's a few things taking place. Remember, rapture, boom, gone, okay? Tribulation's taking place on the earth. Meanwhile, in heaven, there's judgment. Oh, I don't know about you, but when I hear judgment seat, I don't get warm, fuzzy feelings, do you? <laughs> judgment seat of God. I don't. I don't get the warm, fuzzy feelings. I remember growing up believing that when I go to heaven, there's going to be a big movie screen. And on that movie screen... All my sins are going to be shown on that movie screen. I don't know if the pastor or I was at a camp or somewhere, but I heard him say that and it stuck with me forever. And I'm thinking, that's what's going to happen? They're going to start showing all my sins. And I'm going to be like, don't, don't watch this part. Don't, because don't, there's going to be people all around, right? And it's like, Ooh, oh, I didn't want to see that. I did that. I remember that. And then and my motives are going to be revealed. Everything, right? And I'm sitting there, I remember that, thinking that that's what's going to happen. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, give me the gift of hypnotism. That way I can say, you will not remember what you just saw. Boom. Good. All right. Now it's all going to heaven, right? That isn't the way it works. What the Bible says about forgiveness is this. Remember this. Psalm 103, 12. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Romans 8, 1 says what? Therefore now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when I get to heaven and I get before this judgment period, it's not going to be shame or humiliation because Christ took care of that for me. It's going to be a time of rewards. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all, let me hear you say all, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. All of us. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we've done in this earthly body. So when we pass... From these bodies into the world beyond into heaven, we're going to have to give account to everything we've done, good or bad, everything. Now, this isn't the great white throne judgment, which maybe you read about in Revelation chapter 20. That's something else. This describes the judgment of work for the believers. And during this time, Paul wrote, he's writing this, and he's going to describe it here. It was before the Olympic Games, there was the Isthmian Games. And during these games, it would be, take place in a large stadium, and there would be this huge elevated podium in which the judges would stand on. It was called the Bema seat, the judgment seat, which is the same word used that, here that Paul uses for judgment. And these judges were here, and the Olympians, well, the Isthmians, at that point in time, these athletes would come forward if they won, and they would be receiving these awards. They would receive a wreath. And then they would receive a crown of some sort if it wasn't just a wreath. And then they would be exempt from all taxes and their kids wouldn't have to pay to go to school. Let me ask you something. If you were in competition back that day, how hard would you train? Now Paul says in 1 Timothy, train yourself unto godliness. And the word train is gymnazo. Gymnazo, which I've shared with you before, is a word where we get gymnasium. Gymnasium back in Paul's day was wrestling, pancreation, and boxing. Those three sports... Either you win or you lose. If you lose, you are often buried or deformed. You would lose an arm, an eye, an ear. It was not good. 
So, as I would tell a lot of our athletes at the schools I visit, how hard would you train if you knew that this week, if you're competing and you lost, you would lose a limb or die? How hard are you going to compete this week to win? Oh, I'm going to train hard. Of course you're going to train hard. You want to win because you don't want something bad to happen to you. But Paul says here, he goes, we're going to train for a different reason. We're going to train like these guys did with the games so that I could receive a crown, I could be exempt from taxes, and my kids would go to school for free. Now, you ask me if I was in that day, would I do Absolutely, I would train hard. I'd train harder than I would ever train because I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to pay tuition bills. And Paul says, then train yourself unto godliness. Oh, I should have that same attitude then in how I live for God? Yes. That's what Paul's saying. And Paul's saying here then, this judgment seat of Christ is a time of reward. And Paul says here, what they will receive, what is due to him, things done, whether good or bad. And the Greek language has two words for bad or evil, and neither of them are used here. The word that is used here for bad or evil means worthless or of lasting value or no lasting value. Paul's saying that when my motives, my deeds are revealed at that judgment, the things that are worthless in my life will not receive any kind of recognition or condemnation. I won't receive punishment for those things, and I won't receive condemnation for those things, but my reward will be much less. See, God knows all things. Nothing escapes God's notice. He examine our actions. He examines our motives. And if we do not deserve a reward, we will not get a reward. And those who do deserve a reward will receive a reward. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. As we start to wrap this up. Paul continues here and talking about what's going to happen with this time of judgment. He says this, because of God's grace to me, and I'm going to pause for a second, think about this. Paul says, the things that I'm doing is not for me, it's not for my glory. He goes, it's God's grace, because of God's grace to me. He says this, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. No others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause for a second. Think about this. If you're built, when we built this building, the first and the most important thing you've got to do in building the building is what? The foundation. It's got to be a solid foundation. Paul's saying spiritually, our foundation is Jesus Christ. You try to build your life on anything else around you, it will crumble. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Okay, now he goes on in verse 12. Anyone who builds on that foundation can use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a, a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. Listen to this. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. As Paul is describing this to the Corinthians, he's talking about saying, listen, God's going to test the building work of all of us Christians, basically. Each one's work is going to become clear. For those who have built a foundation on Jesus Christ, we will be saved. But from them up, what we've done, 
Some of us build with gold, silver, precious jewels. Some of us build with wood, hay, straw, as Paul said. But when God tests our work, it will be revealed as to what kind of work it was. Fire will destroy wood, hay, straw, but not gold, silver, the precious stones. And that day of judgment, that will be, that will be laid out. And we'll see. Paul challenges this, build with care. Build your life with care, with the silver, gold, with the precious jewels, not the wood, hay, straw, things that are going to just get burned up. Build with things that are lasting, not things that are not lasting. He says, life, basically this, life is a stewardship. See, the years that God has given us on this earth, he's given us with purpose. We are created with value. We are created with purpose. What has God given you? You've been given 365 days this year. Use everyone wisely. Don't waste them. single most important thing you can do is beginning with your foundation. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you started there? And from then, what are you building on? Listen carefully. If you're building your life on your looks and your popularity and how many social media hits you get, you're building the wrong thing. If you're building your life on sports or your job or your spouse or the opposite sex or money, all those things fade away. Listen carefully. If you build your life on sports, one injury derails you and you're done. And what have you built your life on? A fire can take your house. You can lose your job. You can have money taken from you. You can gamble it away. You can mishandle it. People die. People leave. People cheat on us. People walk out. Nothing is secure in this world but Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. In one day of judgment, those building materials are going to be tested with fire. Each day, every choice, we can choose how we build our lives on things that last or things that don't last. And someday I'm going to present to God the life that I built and he's going to examine it. My work will be examined. Your work will be examined. My motives will be burned away like dry weeds on a 110 degree day on a puddle of gasoline. I mean, boom, it's gone. And the only things that are going to last are those that would have true lasting value to Jesus Christ. This is about building our life with God, not somebody else. Well, the person next to me better be hearing this. Listen very carefully. Romans 14.10 says this. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Martin Luther said this, there's only two days marked on my calendar. Today and that day. He recognized all the days of his earthly existence and preparation for that momentous day would stand before God, a holy God of eternity, and to give account for his life. Our foundation, our relationship with Jesus Christ Church determines our future in heaven. How we spend our time and how we build our life determines our reward in heaven. The judgment seat of Christ is an event only for those who are Christ followers. And it won't be an angel. It won't be a biblical hero. It will be God himself who will be there at the judgment seat. 1 Corinthians three fourteen to 15 says this. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through the walls of flames. Paul describes that person barely made it out of the flames of that fire. They were saved, but all they had was destroyed. 
Church, how's your foundation? How's your building material? Are you building with care? Are you building on things that will last for eternity? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we, as we close this up. Now listen carefully. I've got two, two, three questions. First of all, are you ready? Rapture can happen at any time. And when the rapture takes place, the dead in Christ, the alive in Christ, will be caught up and meet them. We'll be giving new bodies, glorified bodies, resurrected bodies. And then there'll be a time of judgment. Are you ready? And what are you building your life on right now? Are you building with care? Church, I hope you are. Now, about the timing of these events, like I said, is debated among theologians. I've wrestled with that question for years. How's this all going to unfold, the timing and all that, right? I remember as a kid, I remember in church, I remember camps, the pastors, the speakers, always pulling out these charts and trying to decipher things, and theologians going to college and hearing debates about it. And I moved here, and when I moved here, my senior pastor, and his name was Reverend Bill Hill. Love Pastor Bill. Bill is like another father to me, meek, godly, so wise, so simple. And I asked him about this. I, I, these are my, my questions. I, want, I wrote this down. This was his reply to all this because I was like, what about the timing of all this? And this is what he said. I know there are varying opinions of theologians as to the timing of these things. And, and I don't think anyone can say with surety when it's going to happen. I just know it will all happen. I trust God to sort it out. What matters to me is that I'm ready. In the end, he's going to take care of me. I'm ready. When Bill shared that with me, I've always sort of taken that stand with Bill and said, you know right, Bill, I agree with you. I don't know when all this is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And I trust God to sort it all out. All I know is this, I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know what's going to happen? Where are you going to be when the rapture takes place? I asked that question in the first service. A little girl in elementary age, girl, sit up here in the front row. I said, do you know what's going to happen? She goes, I just looked at her and I was like, that's the best answer I've seen in years. She knows where she's going. Could you do the same thing? Could you raise your hand and say, I'll be there. I'll meet him in the air. And I know I'll stand before that judgment seat. I don't know if I'm ready for that. So God help me today build my life with care. But I do know I'm ready. I'm ready. Are you? Would you stand please? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that we could worship you today. What an amazing God you are. Thank you for sharing your plan with us for the future in the Bible. And we can open up the Bible, we can read about what's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen. And we need to be ready. So God, I pray for everybody that's in this room right now, that we are ready. That we've laid a secure foundation. That we've placed our faith in your son, Jesus Christ. God, we're all sinners. We've all messed up. But you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take care of that. We can place our faith in you through Jesus. And we ask for forgiveness. We ask for you to come into our life. God, that's our foundation. 
I pray, God, that we are all ready in this room. God, help us now to build our lives in a way that honors you. Not with temporal things that are going to just fade away. You're so caught up in having to have things, they're just going to get destroyed. Have we spent time working on things that last for eternity? Relationships with people. God, help us to build with care. We want to be ready. We want to build with care. We love you, Lord. You are a holy God. We want to sing to you now, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.